Well, friends, please turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 1. We began our study in the Gospel of Mark last week, and we're going to continue this morning by considering verses 9 to 11 together. And I would ask you now to stand as you're able for the reading of God's Word. I'm going to read verses 9 through 11, and then I'm going to say, this is the word of the Lord, and we'll respond, thanks be to God. Mark chapter 1, beginning with verse 9. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Amen. Well, friends, this morning in Mark's Gospel, we consider this passage where the Lord Jesus himself is introduced to us. We talked last week about the fact that Mark introduces us to Christ by introducing us to John first and the ministry that John had in preparation. We looked at some of the parallels of John's ministry and our ministry as a church, but this morning we get to look at Christ himself. And the introduction that Mark gives us, that the Holy Spirit gives us to the Lord Jesus is is not a physical introduction. It's not a description of his physical characteristics. It's not, you know, he walked up and looked like this and sounded like this, the way we might introduce uh, individuals when we were talking. The Spirit's introduction of the Lord Jesus is very much a spiritual introduction. It's an introduction to who he is and what he came to do in an ultimate sense. And since he is the divine Son... Since Christ is God Himself, one of the three persons of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, in this text we see the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, the members of the Trinity working in concert together towards that great end for which Christ came, which is the salvation of sinners. So today, looking at this text, uh, we're going to, to look and listen. We're going to consider What Mark is telling us, we're going to meditate on the person of Christ and the Spirit and the Father and what they are doing. And our our primary application this morning is is to believe, to believe that it is true. The ultimate truth communicated in this passage, you you might put it this way, it is the purpose and the pleasure of God to save sinners who come to Him for mercy. It is the purpose and the pleasure of God to save sinners who come to Him for mercy. We see this through the lens of the Trinity. Again, in these three verses, verse 9, verse 10, and 11, we have the Son, we have the Spirit, we have the Father. And in all three verses, we see the posture of these members of the Trinity toward sinners who come in repentance for mercy. We see, that's, and this is our outline, the Father, the Son, the Spirit, and the Father. Verses 9, 10, and 11. First, we'll see that repentant sinners have God the Son for our companion. 
Second, that repentant sinners have God the Spirit come and take up His residence with us. And then third, that repentant sinners have God the Father embrace us as His own beloved children. So that's our outline this morning. First, verse 9, that repentant sinners have God the Son for our companion. Verse 9, in those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Now, remember the setting here. Imagine this this setting. In the first century, miles outside the city of Jerusalem, along the banks of the Jordan River, a relatively arid, desert-like region, I'm imagining the sun's probably shining. It's hot, and there are a lot of people. There is no air conditioning. There, There are no food trucks to deliver refreshments to them. And they're along the side of the Jordan River. Huge crowds, remember. Mark tells us all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem was coming out to be baptized there. And the Lord Jesus comes. Now note, Mark tells us He comes from Nazareth of Galilee. He does not come directly from heaven to the banks of the Jordan to be baptized. Jesus has already lived a human lifetime, a generation's worth of time as a human being with us as our brother. Before he came to be baptized, remember, he came to humanity in the incarnation. He was born in a manger. The the, the author of life, the creator of all things, entered into creation himself and took on real humanity, not the form of a human being, merely, but he actually became one of us. And the God of heaven was, in a very real sense, found some place where he did not belong. A manger in a stable. And then human flesh in this place, Nazareth, this nowhere place in the countryside of Galilee. But as we come to our text this morning, we find Jesus in yet another place where he doesn't really belong, in a sense. And that is the waters of baptism. You remember we talked last week about John's baptism and what this baptism was, what it it symbolized. It is a baptism of confession and repentance. It is a baptism of one seeking forgiveness for sin. And here is the Lord Jesus, Him without sin, coming to be baptized by John in the Jordan. Now, John knows that he doesn't have any business being there in that sense. You remember in Matthew chapter 3, John says as much, well, I shouldn't be baptizing you, you should be baptizing me. John objects. We don't know how much John knew about the identity of Christ at this point, but he did know enough to know that this man's got no business repenting. But Jesus says it's to fulfill all righteousness. And John relents and baptizes him. Why is Jesus being baptized? Why is he there? Well, friends, he is there. I think there's a number of reasons that we can say he was there, but I think the simplest and the plainest and maybe the most significant is that he is there because his mission is to come and stand with sinners. His mission is to identify himself with sinners in order that their salvation might be accomplished in him. 
beyond merely sympathy and solidarity with the human race, walking for 30 years as one of us, knowing what it is to be under the fall and the weakness and the fragility and the temptation of humanity that he might sympathize with us, as Hebrews says. He has come to atone for our sin. He's come to be our substitute. He's already come to stand with humanity in weakness, and now at his baptism we see he begins to stand with us in our sin, our sinless Savior. Here at this baptism, the Lord Jesus Christ willingly assumes the posture of a sinner, he who knows no sin. He willingly takes on the the role of the repenter, of the confessor. Though he has no sin himself to be forgiven, he takes the posture of one who is seeking forgiveness. Because he has come to seek forgiveness. He's come to secure forgiveness, but not for his own sins. Mark introduces us to the Lord Jesus here in this posture for a reason. This is a perfect introduction. This is his great mission on the earth to come and join us under the burden of our guilt, to be numbered among the transgressors, and then by His sacrifice to secure our forgiveness. And here, in His baptism in Mark chapter 1, verse 9, we see the beginning of that. The beginning of Him standing with sinners. I guess the incarnation really is the beginning. Uh, but here's the beginning of His ministry of taking on the burden of sin being counted among the transgressors. This is only the beginning, though. You know, he has further to go than just the waters of baptism. Surely it was humbling for one who has no need of repentance to stand there and receive a baptism of repentance. But, oh, there was yet more humbling that he was going to do. He comes to stand with us in repentance and confession and seeking forgiveness. But he is going to go places that we cannot go with him. Like Moses in Exodus 20, drawing near to God in that thick darkness where he is and we cannot go with him. The Lord Jesus is going to go further up. Or as he puts it in Luke chapter 12, he has another baptism to be baptized in. And oh, how he is, he's constrained. Oh, how he feels anxiety until that time comes. He desires it. That is the baptism that he receives at the cross. That is the baptism, not in water, but in the very wrath of God poured out for sinners. When Jesus would not just stand with us in our guilt and identify with us, but he would stand for us in the judgment that we ourselves could not bear. And the right wrath of God, the judgment of God, the condemnation that we rightly deserved, it would be poured out all over him. He would be consumed by it in our place as our substitute. And yet He would rise from the dead. Our penalty paid by His own blood shed. Now, here at the beginning of His mission, we are introduced to our Savior standing in the place of sinners that we might have forgiveness. And so when we look at him there, when we look at him here in verse 9 in his baptism, there is an important lesson for us to learn. And that is that the repentant sinner has God the Son, Jesus Christ himself, for his companion. 
The one who goes to God for mercy does not go alone, but there is Christ standing with him. You all know very well, probably most of you, confession, repentance, acknowledging that you have failed, acknowledging that you have messed up and are in need of mercy. This can be a frightening thing, whether we're talking about before God or before other people. It is an uncomfortable thing to confess and seek forgiveness. It is a humbling thing. It is a risky thing. We are exposed and helpless and alone and at the mercy of the one from whom we're seeking forgiveness. But friends, I think it is a lesson for us to learn here in verse 9 as we look at Christ in baptism. When we go to confess and repent before God, our Maker, we do not go alone because Jesus Christ is with us. Not that he needs to repent of his own sin, but he willingly puts himself in that place that we might have him as our companion. He does not tell us to go wash the way that Elisha told Naaman to go wash in the, in the river. But rather he stands in the river and says, come to me. Come to where I am. He calls to us in that way. He stands there in the waters of repentance and confession, not as a judge, but as a friend in his earthly ministry. As a, even taking on the, the posture of a fellow repenter, though he is without sin. As Isaiah 53 says, to be counted among us. And he does so, friends, not out of necessity, but he does so out of love. Like John tells us in the beginning of John chapter 13, having loved his disciples, he loves them all the way to the end. Having loved them in his earthly ministry, having loved them here from this day at his baptism, he loves them all the way to the end, loves them all the way to the cross. It's love that puts him in this place to be our companion. Though he is without sin, he stands there in the baptism, a friend and a companion of all who will come and repent. And if we will go to God, we will have the Lord Jesus by our side, our friend and our advocate. I've struggled to think about how to illustrate this, and I have an illustration that I'll try on you. It may not be great. Some of you know, many of you know that I used to work in restaurants. I used to be a cook. And for a little while, I was a manager. And oftentimes, it was a short order style restaurant that I worked in, and things got really busy and really fast. And, and sometimes you, would get, you could get behind in making orders for people. And I was, I was uh, the way this restaurant was set up, I was not only managing, but I was also cooking at the same time. So you could really get overwhelmed. And there was one instance, there are many instances, where somebody would not get their food fast enough or they would want it remade and I would remake it and send it out and it was wrong the second time. People would get upset about a variety of things. And I remember one instance where somebody was really upset. It was a busy evening meal and somebody had ordered something that wasn't really on the menu and I had made it and I'd sent it and it wasn't right and they sent it back and I remade it and, then I ma and it wasn't right the second time. And all the rest of their party was finishing their meal and they were not happy. And just about that time, one of the owners of the restaurant that I worked for came in and heard this waitress telling me about how unhappy uh, this customer was. 
And I was kind of groaning over the grill thinking, oh gosh. Well, this owner of the restaurant comes over to me and he puts his arm around me and he says, let's go apologize. I take my apron off and I wash my hands and then he and I walk out together to where this customer is. And he stands right beside me as I apologize and ask these people to forgive me for messing up their order. And they say, well, I want to talk to your manager. And he says, I'm right here. And I'm so sorry too. (laughs) (laughs) Now, I share that with you because it, it was such a blessing to have him there with me, right? It was my mistake to confess. It was, my, it was my sin, if you might call it that, to confess. But oh, to, to have him there by my side. There is something of that that we see here in this baptism. When we go to confess before the Lord, oh God, I am a sinner in need of mercy. Have mercy on me. Jesus Christ is already there standing in the place of sinners seeking the mercy of God on our behalf. It is not his sin to confess. Oh, but there he is at our side while we're confessing it. Consider his character there. I mean, think about, I sometimes think about what kind of person my boss was to walk out there with me and help me in that moment. Think about what kind of person the Lord Jesus Christ is that he would come and stand in the place of a repentant sinner that we might not be alone in it. Think about what that says about his character. Think about what that says about his heart. Is that who you understand him to be? When you think about him, do you know that that's what he's like? There's a tenderness towards sinners in him. And it is a precious thing. 1 John chapter 1, John tells us, I'm paraphrasing, that if we confess our sin, we have fellowship with Christ. If we deny that we are sinners, we have, we have no fellowship with Him. We remain in the darkness. To confess is to be with Him in the light. And that makes perfect sense because there He is in the place of confessors Himself to say, oh, I have no business confessing. I have no need to go in the waters of repentance is to say, I have no need of fellowship with Christ because, look, that's where He is. To confess our sin, to say, oh, God, have mercy on me, is to go stand by His side because that's where He puts Himself, you see. Friends, have you come to Jesus in that place? He does not stand in the place of self-righteousness. He does not stand in the place of religious perfection waiting for you to come join Him. He stands in the place of a repentant sinner. Sinless as he is, he stands there in the place being baptized. Oh God, have mercy on sinners. Have you gone to him there? This is why the the Pharisee in Luke chapter 18 who says, Oh God, thank you that I'm not like them, goes home unjustified. But the man who says, Oh Lord, have mercy on me, I don't deserve it. He's the one that goes home justified. Because he's the one in the end who finds Christ who puts himself in the place of repenting sinners. Today, do you have something to confess and repent? I mean, are you you a Christian who has things to confess before the Lord? Are you somebody who has never confessed your sin before the Lord? It is a scary thing. I acknowledge that. 
Oh, but if you go confess your sin before the living God, you will find that you are not alone. But you have Jesus Christ for your friend and your companion. If you go out into the, the sometimes frightening waters of repentance, you will find that you're not alone out there. But Christ is your constant companion. For the first time or the thousandth time, friends, confess your sin before the Lord today. Jesus Christ will have you. Now, the second thing, verse 10. Repentant sinners have God, the Spirit, come and take up residence with us. Repentant sinners have God, the Spirit, come and take up residence with us. Look at verse 10. And when he came up out of the water... Immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. When he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. Now there is much symbolized here in this text. There's much that can be said about it. In one sense we see Jesus, I mean we see how far he has humbled himself in weakness and humanity if the Spirit of God would come and anoint him to do the work that he's come to do. He does not do it in his own power. We also see his, his holiness depicted here. I think that's part of the symbolism. You remember that dove that Noah released from the ark to go, and the dove would not land on anything that was filthy. And the Spirit of God here, the Holy Spirit, comes and lands on Jesus Christ, lights on him because he is holy and he is without sin. But it's not just those things. This does say something about us. Because you remember in verse 8 of Mark chapter 1, John said that he, he baptized you with water, but the one who is coming, Jesus Christ, he would baptize with the Holy Spirit. Jesus is standing here in the place of sinners because the Son is standing in the place of repentant sinners seeking forgiveness. This is a picture of God's willingness to come and take up residence again with his rebellious children when they come and confess and seek the forgiveness that he gives in Christ. Christ is picturing for us the blessing that we receive when we come in repentance, seeking mercy in His name. You remember the greatest blessing of all the blessings that our first parents had in the garden in the very beginning, all the perfections of life then, the greatest blessing was the fact that God dwelled there with them. The God of heaven was there in their midst. They knew Him and walked with Him. He had made His residence with them there. And that is the greatest thing that was lost at the fall. When they rejected Him, when we in them all rejected God and that fellowship was broken, His, his presence withdraws in that way. The way that in Ezekiel chapter 10, the glory withdraws from the temple. There's a, a rift between us and God. He no longer dwells right in our midst. Now, the Old Testament, there's all kinds of indications that his purpose is to restore that fellowship. All the way from Genesis 3, all, I mean, that's the whole imagery of the tabernacle and the temple, that he would dwell in our midst again. But in Christ's baptism here, we see how it is to be done. We see it depicted in very vivid colors on probably a sunny day beside this river. When sinners come in repentance and seeking forgiveness in Jesus Christ, the very Spirit of God comes and rests on them and makes His home with them again. 
We see it depicted here in this baptism. But friends, is that not what we see very literally taking place at Pentecost? When the Spirit of God is poured out on the church, the Spirit of God comes down from heaven and rests on the disciples, not as a, not as a dove, but as, but as tongues of fire. God is in their midst. Is this not what is depicted, what is going to be fulfilled in fullness in the last chapters of Revelation, in Revelation chapter 21? It's, it's beautiful and worth reading. Revelation chapter 21, verse 3. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be His people and God Himself will be with them as their God. This is the, fulfill- this is the beginning, this is the fulfillment in the end, that God would be in the midst of His people dwelling with them. But what we see here in Christ's baptism is that even now in Christ, the end has begun to begin. The future has come on the church. This is what Paul is talking about in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. He talks about God. they're the temple of the Holy Spirit because God comes and dwells with them. I think it's not a coincidence that Mark describes the heavens being torn open like that curtain that was to be torn open in the temple when Christ was crucified. And the holy of holies, the presence of God would flow out of the temple into the midst of the people and dwell among them in them. The same way in Ezekiel's vision, that river flows out from the the base of of the temple, out of the holy of holies, and flows into that arid land. And suddenly there are, there's trees and living things all over the place. Right? That's what's being depicted in those Old Testament prophecies. But, but here we see it pictured in Christ's baptism. The Spirit dis- descends on the repenting sinner seeking forgiveness from God and makes us new. Now, the point I want to make about this, I'll be be brief here. God's purpose is not merely to forgive and to welcome us into heaven on that day. But His purpose is that we live our lives abiding in Him now. His purpose is that we have fellowship with Him now in our lives. Not just that we look forward to that final day when Revelation 21 is real and happens in time and space, but even now that we walk as those who have fellowship with God because the Spirit descends on those who repent and seek forgiveness in Christ. In John chapter 8, we won't turn there for the sake of time, in John 8 he speaks about abiding in His Word in the upper room discourse. He makes it very clear that the Spirit He was sending would carry out His purposes. And you and I who repent and trust in Christ, the Spirit of God Himself is with you now. Which means, like very practically, that means the life of discipleship is a life of fellowship with Him. That means that that God is not waiting for you to say your prayers. He is waiting for you to speak to Him and pour out your heart as a friend. God is not waiting for you to do your Bible reading. He's waiting for you to listen to Him because He speaks to you as a father means that God is not waiting for you to attend church services. Rather, it is His desire that you be part of His family, part of the flock that He Himself is shepherding. Friends, we need to learn this lesson here. 
Sometimes we think of spiritual disciplines, we think of the Christian life and discipleship as, as marching orders that he sent us to do. It is not that. It is about living life as a branch on a vine. That's the way he describes it. It's about living life with him. And friends, for that reason, prayer, Bible reading, church attendance and fellowship in the church, repentance of sin, all these things, these are not burdens for us. They are a privilege for us because Christ dwells with us in His Spirit. It is about fellowship with Him as we walk through life. That makes a difference. It makes a difference day after day. When you get up in the morning and walk downstairs and your coffee is brewing before you go to work or whatever, your tea, whatever it is that you're drinking, the difference between thinking, now it's time to say my prayers, now it's time to do my Bible reading, and saying, now is the time to meet with my Lord because He has come to dwell with me. He waits for me and I'll speak with Him and I'll listen to Him. Do you see the difference? It's a profound difference if the Holy Spirit of God has come to dwell with us and we have fellowship with Him. Now, the last point that I want to make, verse 11 we see not only the work of Christ himself, the posture he has, taking the place of sinners. We, we see not only the posture of the Holy Spirit towards sinners to come and to dwell with them. We also see the Father. Repentant sinners have God the Father embrace us as his own beloved children. Repentant sinners have God the Father embrace us as his own beloved children. In verse 11, a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son, and with you I am well pleased. Now again, as with the Spirit, there is much to be said about this. This voice, the voice that spoke in the beginning and all things were made. The voice that spoke at Sinai and the people trembled and said, may we never hear it again. Here, the voice from heaven, the voice of God himself, God the Father, he says, this is my beloved son. With him I am well pleased. It's, it's, it's of huge significance. It's of huge significance not only in the sense that, that God is validating the identity of the Son. This is exactly what he says in Psalm 2. This is the one. This is the Messiah. God himself testifies. Later on, the Pharisees are going to say, who bears witness about you? Don't you need somebody else to bear witness about you? Oh, God has borne witness about Christ. He spoke from heaven. This is my Son. Not only that, he's also confirming the validity of Christ's mission. I'm well pleased with what he's doing. Christ is there standing where, in a sense, he doesn't belong, right? The waters of repentance, being baptized, standing in the place of sinners. And the Father says, I am pleased with this. No. Jesus Christ did not come to try to convince his Father not to be so harsh. He was sent by His Father to accomplish the, the purposes that He in His own heart of love had designed for humanity. And the Father says, Amen. I'm pleased with what He's doing. But beyond that, friends, because Christ stands there in the place of sinners, because He's adopted our posture, what the Father says is a picture of what He says to all of us who will come and join the Lord Jesus and repent of our sin and seek forgiveness in Christ and Christ alone. Here is the attitude of the Father toward those who will come. He is pleased. 
and He owns us as His beloved. He looks on all who come to Him through His Son, joining Him in confession and seeking forgiveness, trusting in His mercy, and the Father is pleased. He smiles on sinners who come seeking mercy in Christ. He sets His love on them as His true children. They are beloved to Him. Do you know that? Do you believe that? That God loves to forgive sinners. Friends, it is so important that we believe that. I don't think that's not a secondary issue. That God looks upon repentant sinners and says, my beloved. That it is His purpose, it is His pleasure. It is the desire of His heart to forgive sinners. It is not obligatory that He calls you His child. Sometimes I think, we talked about this in Sunday school recently, sometimes I think we, we can preach the gospel in such a way as to communicate that God finds you so loathsome that He has to strap Christ-colored goggles on His head to even look at you without becoming nauseous. And so He really just sees Jesus and He doesn't see you. As if His love is imputed. Now, righteousness is imputed. But it was His love that sent Christ. He doesn't have to trick Himself into loving you. He loves sinners. That's why He sent Jesus Christ. And when the Father looks down on Christ here, the man in the flesh standing in the place of repentance and says, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Oh, friends, anyone who will join Christ there will hear those words from the Father. This is my beloved Son. This is my beloved daughter, and I am well pleased. Oh, is that not the desire of your heart to hear that? To hear that from a human father. Oh, what would it mean if, if your father would look at you and say, Son, daughter, I see you, and I am well pleased with you, and I love you. Oh, but to hear it here, not from an earthly father, but to hear it from God in heaven. You are my beloved son. And with you I am well pleased. Friends, when you think about God, when you think about Jesus Christ, when you think about the Holy Spirit, when you imagine the Trinity, is this part of your imagination of what God is like? Christ there standing with sinners in their repentance. The Holy Spirit willingly come to, to make His home with you. And God the Father smiling over the whole thing. Amen, amen. How good it is to have these children home again. I mean, isn't that, what, isn't that what the parable of the prodigal son and the Gospel of Luke is about? Isn't that what Jesus is communicating? The Father rushes off the porch to get these back. He loves them. This is the heart of God towards all who come for mercy. Nothing will separate us from that love. In Romans chapter 8, those well-known verses, what can separate us from the love of God? It is not what can separate us from the, the legal, technical obligation of God. It is the love of God. From the duty of God. No, no, no. It is the love of God. What can separate us from His love? Absolutely nothing. It could never be. Can God be grieved by our sin? Absolutely. Is God pleased by our obedience? Absolutely. Oh, but friends, 
The living God will never forsake his own children. Nothing can separate us from his love. Those of you who are parents, you have a sense of this. You know what it is to have your, to be pleased with your children more so than, you know, and then to be grieved by things that they do, but all along, under it all, to have this bedrock solid commitment to them and their standing in your affection will never change. Ours is imperfect, but His is perfect. Our fatherhood is imperfect, but His is without sin. Now, I'll just end by asking that question again. Do you believe this about God? Do you believe that if you, if you go before God to confess your sins to get today, that you'll do so with Jesus Christ as your companion? That if you turn to God for mercy, that the Holy Spirit of God, God Himself will come and dwell with you and make you new. That if you repent of your sins, it pleases God to forgive you. It is the desire of His heart. John Calvin and his institutes defines true faith as a steady and certain knowledge of the divine benevolence towards us. A steady and certain knowledge of the divine benevolence towards us. A confidence that God smiles on us. Now Calvin did not make that up. I think you see it here in this baptism. I think you see his benevolence very clearly here. Can it be so that God would be so good to us? It can be. Look to the Scriptures. Look to this baptism here and see. The Father, the Son, the Spirit, all working together for our good. Amen. Let's, let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, thank You for loving sinners. Jesus Christ, thank You for coming to die for us and pay for our sins. And oh, Holy Spirit of God, thank You for coming to dwell with us in our midst. Open our eyes that we might behold the beauty of Jesus Christ and love Him with our whole hearts. And oh, may we never doubt Your benevolence towards us that is so clearly shown here in the Scriptures and confirmed in the Gospel that Christ would die for us. Thank You. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.